Greetings, podcast listeners and earthlings. Welcome back to the Hit or Miss Star Trek podcast for episode two of series two, the Borg and AI-themed series. Uh, this week, we're taking a detour from the horrors of the Borg uh, to talk about a more AI-based situation. So we're looking at It's Only a Paper Moon from DS9, uh, which features quite heavily the Vic Fontaine self-aware hologram. Uh, but as you know, I don't do this on my own. I'm always joined by a guest, and uh, it is a returning guest uh, for the first time this series. In a sense, um, it's a, somebody who joined me to discuss a little bit prematurely our dissatisfaction with Paramount when they were taking Discovery away from us for a while there, for about a week or so. And uh, if you follow my other podcast channel, The Silver Screen Podcast, we also did a fantastic review of Die Hard uh, just at Christmas, just gone. So do check that out. If I do say so myself, that was good. Uh, and it is a guest so awesome that he only has to be known by initials. So welcome back, DK. <laughs> Hello, nice to be back. As I mentioned on Twitter, the universe has a fine sense of irony because out of nowhere today, my USS Nog from the Starships collection arrived. And I was it like, did. wow. I have to be honest, it does look beautiful. A beautiful ship. It does. I mean, I will have a review up by the time this goes out. It'll have been up for a while of the, the actual ship and everything about it except the size and price is so gorgeous. But yeah, yeah the size yeah. and the fact that they've added £10 to the price tag for something so small. Really yeah, the, the ship I uh, I I currently am piloting in Star Trek Online. Oh, it's fantastic! It's it's a great little it's a lovely tribute that they did that they named it the Nog, and you can kind of track that character as the first Frankie Captain and stuff. But then the added touch of calling it the Eisenberg class, um, yeah, I think really yeah, that's it's very much appreciated, and it is a gorgeous ship to have named, you know. <laughs> Anyway, so yeah, you can probably check out my review of the Nog, but it just felt weird that when we were discussing a very Nog-heavy episode, that it ship came and it wasn't uh, it wasn't pre-ordered or anything. It was just like, do you want to buy this now? <laughs> so, <laughs> meanwhile, I'm still waiting on the Cerritos that I've paid for like in late November last year. <laughs> you know? yeah, I'm, I'm now trying to decide which ones I want because the two that uh, that were ordered the other day arrived and I think, oh God, they're so pretty. I need to get all oh. the ones. Which ones did you order out of curiosity? I got uh, the ship from Captain Proton. Oh, I've got that one. That's so cool, isn't it? It's really it good. It is. I was, I was, yeah, I was surprised when they turned up. I was thinking, oh, please be good. Please be good. And then I opened them up and I thought, oh, God, my money is just going to go so quickly. And uh, the other the other one was the USS Aventine from the books. Oh, I haven't got that one, but I did say, yeah, it's a, a lovely, sleek design. Yeah, It is, yeah. Yeah, and being oh, fair a, enough. obviously on the book trip recently, I thought, oh, I have yeah. to. <laughs> That's cool. I'm, I did, I'm wondering uh, if, they're, if they're ever going to, I mean, obviously they've done the Cerritos. I'm wondering if they're ever going to get to the Protostar. They probably will. I mean, I did notice, speaking of like, I'm still waiting for the Cerritos, but I saw Mike McMahon, um, you know, the Lower Decks exec producer. Um, he got the prototype of the Cerritos the other day and he was posting it on Twitter. But I know it's the prototype because they have a spelling mistake on it, as the guy pointed out. <laughs> so I'm still not <laughs> expecting mine anytime soon. But it was there. And at the same time, he got given the USS Vancouver, which wasn't previously announced. And I was like, oh, that is really lovely looking as well. Like, so and, uh, <laughs> if it's an XL, it's going to retail for about 60 quid. So I don't think it's going to be a first day purchase. It might be a, if it goes on sale, I'll definitely get my hands on it. But uh, 
Yeah. Anyway, yeah. enough uh, enough for me shilling for Eagle Moss. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, you, may well, you, you, you may as well just say, uh, you know, I'm wanting this ship. Hopefully, Eagle yeah, Moss might I mean, hear you and, and think, yeah, yeah. If they want to sponsor me, by all means. Well, exactly. Yeah. You're giving them but, enough publicity. <laughs> exactly. But uh, yeah, so um, as as you know, if you're a regular listener, this podcast has sections. Uh, we get to the review later on. We've got a hit or miss section. As it's only a single episode we're reviewing today, um, we'll probably do a few more hit or misses between seven and ten, depending on how the conversation goes and how we offer time. But, uh, something that we, we've already kind of uh, got into when we came for our little rant episode. But the first section, of course, is uh, getting to know you type thing. And it's the section that I call Healing Frequencies Open. Healing frequencies open, sir. Okay. Um, we already addressed when you were last on, obviously, the things that I was asking new guests, which is like the favorite episodes and favorite Trek series and stuff. Um, so I have a few returning yep. guests this series, and I decided what I would have to do is come up with a new question for this section. Um, and the question that I came up with in my infinite wisdom is this. Um, what would you say are your top three characters from anywhere in the Star Trek franchise? Oh, great. Oh, nice. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm not letting people know about these questions in advance because I find they overthink it if you do that. <laughs> yeah, thank you for that. Top three characters, uh, as in, as in just my personal favourites, are the ones I think have made the most impact. Or... It's entirely up to you. I mean, like I said, it's the last time with the episodes I was like, oh, sometimes things that you would be proud to show somebody as a representative of Trek or things that you like personal comfort characters favorites characters that you relate to absolutely anything just who are your sort of three or it could be just three that you think were written the best or acted the best even you know uh number one I've, uh, okay number one i'm gonna have to go to my uh stock answer which is spock he is he yep. is star <laughs> trek anybody that knows star trek knows spock he was in the original series that was the first series i saw i had when I was really, really young, my parents have told me this. I actually thought he was the captain. I just thought Kirk <laughs> was some kind of friend. I thought Spock was the one in command. But uh, yeah, has the air I, of calm of command of, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I, I, I'm sure things would have worked out quite differently in some scenarios with with Spock <laughs> in, in the chair. But yeah, he's and uh, although I never had the, the fortune enough to meet him. Uh, I was mm. always a great admirer of Leonard Nimoy, and mm. yeah, I, I just think the what he did for the show and for the franchise in general, and obviously he had a bit of a period in in, in his life when he didn't really want to be associated with anymore, but he came mm. back, and I'm, I'm so glad he did. Uh, mm. Yeah, I just you just cannot help but love the character. I don't think I've ever met a single Star Trek fan who I know anyway. That, uh, that that had taken a dislike to Spock. He is, he is, and he Absolutely. will always be to me the franchise. Yeah, and I mean, uh, talking about Leonard Nimoy as the kind of original and definitive version, um, his, he's had such a fascinating life connected to the character, but like just in general. And so um, I should probably mention that I never have yet. If anybody hasn't seen the documentary For the Love of Spock, uh, which I think is on Netflix or it used to be, definitely well worth a watch, well worth your time. Um, so, yeah. Uh, if it's allowed to... Quickly, to to, to toot my own horn, I'm actually in the credits for that. Really? Yeah, I was one of okay. the best. So, um, oh, okay. I'm, wow. <laughs> although I've still got a physical copy and I'm trying. If anybody knows of a decent physical copy for a decent price, please let me know because it's like trying to find the proverbial rocking horse. Oh, 
I know Wait. the feeling. I'm still uh, still looking everywhere for a physical copy of what you left behind in a very yes. appropriate DS90 way. But yeah, I've got it digitally on Amazon, but hard copy of it is just proving elusive, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah, it's another one. Th those two, those two, definitely. Yeah. Uh, but going back to the question yeah. then, so is there any, obviously the original and the, the definitive Spock would be Leonard Nimoy, but are you a fan of the other two or not so much? <laughs> uh, I am. And I think uh, Peck especially has done a good job, although I could never take to him with a beard. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm with you on both of those counts. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, Strange New Worlds uh, mm -hmm. just because I love that. I love the era in which it's set and the the recent material, the, the promotional material, the poster with uh, the horse and the Enterprise in the background. Oh, I think oh it's it was so good. good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the funniest thing that came out of that was just that somebody on Twitter genuinely said, it's against Star Trek's ideology to be a Western. They've changed it too much. And now it's just like, uh, I became the Picard face palm gift. Yeah, everybody was like, like, oh, you... like, oh my good grief. <laughs> like, that's literally how the show began. never watched Star Trek, who's never listened to a thing about Star Trek, who's never read anything about Star Trek. Again, it's what we were talking about earlier. It's going back to the pretty lights and space battle. Yeah, exactly. Oh, dear me. But uh, anyway, so two more characters, if you don't mind, unless you want to just pick all three Spocks, I guess. No, 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 no. <laughs> I mean, as much as I like Quinto, it, it doesn't it doesn't quite ring true for me. It's he's, he's yeah. an excellent portrayal, but he's uh, the, the he's much more, in my opinion, and I'm sure I'm going to get a lot of hate for this. He's he's a bit a little too emotional for me. I think Spock. that's that's the point, though. That character's been through a lot more, um, you know, without wanting to sense butters in case people haven't seen the movies. The character, that version of Spock's been through a heck of a lot more. So I think it's... Oh, definitely. Uh, I mean, with both yeah. of them, you know. Um, but he, I, just, I, I don't know. He, he, he just had... The, the way Quinto plays him, he plays him like uh, Nimoy. But whereas Nimoy yeah. can come across with an, uh, an aura of superiority that comes across oh. well i think quinto that's sometimes a, come, come, comes across as arrogant that's what i, I was going to say and it's, it's yeah, a similar he, complaint that i have yeah which yeah, is um, he's more kirk is the arrogant one yeah but, yeah, but see with but, me it's it's also the fact that nimoy was never even when spock was kind of out of control you were never really afraid of nimoy spock was always kind of you know he was spock and he was charming and he was there um, but Nemo, perhaps because I watched him in Heroes and American Horror Story playing like really creepy villains, not yeah. Nemo, yeah, Quinto. Um, so that watching him as Spock when Spock loses his temper, I'm like, ooh, this is a little bit too. Exactly. Yeah, I don't when like this. Asylum, and then you see him lose his temper on the bridge, you say, like, oh, someone's going to get it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Anyway. So, yeah, sorry. Anyway, two more characters. <laughs> two more characters. I think I'm going to have to go with. Uh, Picard. Which, yeah, I would have said that until the end yeah. of Picard, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> it, it wasn't your, your cup of tea then, that one. I just didn't like Picard at all, and I don't like, again, without wanting to spoil it in case people haven't seen it, I don't like what they did with the character at the end of that first series, because it just seems like I don't I don't fully get what they're, what they're going for. Maybe they, it's like an allegory or a metaphor, and I can understand it in that way, but it just seems like, Why? It I just, just seems like you're I, doing stuff for the sake of doing it, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I thought it was kind of uh, a nice parallel to the uh, the denouement of the data story. 
and yeah, you know, maybe kind of yeah. tight into that. I don't know 100% where they were trying to go, but That's I did enjoy I, mean. I did enjoy the ride, and it, yeah, you know, there were certain things that brought back, as they say, the feels. I'm, I'm not sure mm. if the kids say that anymore. I'm very old, so probably. <laughs> well, I do. Oh <laughs> <laughs> well, that's all right. We're on the same wavelength, at least. Uh, exactly. When when Next Generation first started, I was one of the few people that didn't take to it. Oh, I didn't start. Yeah, and because I was, I'm I'm in a huge, I'm a huge fan of Kirk. So the Captain styles were obviously very different, and I couldn't take to Picard. But that's in weird, years... I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if that's the that, the reason that I maybe was different is because I'm the opposite. I never took to Kirk. I was always like, no, nah, this guy's way too much of a, a jerk, really. You know what I mean? I don't like yeah. how cocky he is. <laughs> yeah. It, uh, it, it, it was, he was, when Next Generation first started, he wasn't the swashbuckling type. He was too cool. He was too reserved. But as time went on, I took, I found a comfort in that. And mm. you, now if I was faced with a choice, if you could be on a ship that were captained by any particular captain, would it be Kurt? Would it be Picard? It would be Picard every time mm. because I would feel like I'm more likely to survive the experience. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's that's the case. Picard was always the diplomat, whereas Kirk is the shoot first, ask questions later type, I guess, isn't it? So. Yeah, yeah. I, I, and I've grown to respect Patrick Stewart as an actor because I'd never heard of Patrick Stewart prior to Star Trek and you know since then obviously I've seen him in uh, productions of Shakespeare that he's been in and and the, and the fact that he doesn't take himself too seriously in real life oh, yeah. I, I really <laughs> like that about him yeah it, absolutely it, yeah that was the performance that got to the, the character itself yeah. yeah cool yeah. um so what would you say as a third character then, that, uh, if you, if you can narrow one, it down without... Uh, too much the third one is easy, but you're going to think of it just because of the episode. And again, I'm going to get a lot of hate for this because he was never a major character and because of the area in which he's set, it's, it can be touchy. But I absolutely adore Vic. Interesting. That's a bizarre choice for a character in, in my eye, but I can see where you might be coming from. And uh, I have someone who will be in the audience response section that would disagree with you. <laughs> but right, uh, yeah. yeah, so what do you uh, what do you love about Vic Fontaine? That's a fascinating answer for sure. It's it's just an obtuse character to put in the middle of this space, this station. Uh, <laughs> you know, obviously, I could pick from any number of Jeffrey Coombs characters because that guy is mm -hmm. just a fantastic actor so if it wasn't Vic, probably gone for shram if i've been honest but that's a good call vic, vic beats it to me i, I it, it could be the way i was brought up my parents my father especially he was into the whole sinatra d martin rat pack scene and so okay. when i was growing up i was pretty much raised on that kind of music so it's although i'm never a huge fan myself i do appreciate it hmm. and seeing this character come out of left field Very, and yeah. Dumped, yeah and be dumped on this station and if it was just a one a character that was one or two episodes which you know he appeared he was a bit of comic relief and then went i could understand people's dislike for him when you come to episodes like the one we're going to be talking about today i think it revealed the depth to the character that 
in most other shows you wouldn't necessarily get. Okay, fair enough. And the fact that he, he knows what he is and mm. he, he kind of makes no apologies for it. And he's not a bad person. He's just, again, a product in which you were raised. But there's a lot of heart in that character. And that's what I like about him. And again, it could be down to the also down to the growing up thing because I remember James Darren back in uh, TJ Hooker with William Shatner. That was my first experience with uh, seeing James Darren. So to see a familiar face to me come back and play this affable character. Yeah, it, it, it just, okay. it just struck, struck a chord with me, Rian. Awesome. Well, that's very on theme anyway, so uh, yeah. that's cool. That's some good answers. So, uh, yeah, that's awesome. I'm happy with that. So that's our first three top characters, then Spock, Picard, Vic Fontaine. <laughs> yes. And I know it seems a bit left field because if it wasn't for Vic Fontaine, like I said, it would have been Shran and hmm. Cisco because I think Avery Brooks is just... Again, an amazing actor, and I had no idea. But uh, you know, if it's limited to three, I've got to, I've got to go with it at the first three off the top of my head and be honest. That's fair enough. But we'll see. Yeah, Shran would probably be a close fourth if we had to narrow it out a bit or whatever. So. Definitely. Awesome, awesome. Uh, well, I'll move us to the next section in that case. Then it's a section that is, is new to you because we didn't really touch on this during our rant episode. Uh, but that is the section that I call hit or miss. Okay. What about my performance? I'm not a drama critic. Right. So, um, if as I say, you're not familiar with it. So basically what it is, is I just throw out random things from anywhere in the Trek universe. Um, I'm trying to keep them as random as I can, but also throw in some that are on theme for this series, which is obviously the Borg and the AI, you know, advanced yeah. AI in the Trek universe. Um, so it'll be a little bit of a mixture of both. Uh, and as I say, I'll just shout the thing out. You've never heard them before, so you don't know what's coming. And then you just tell me, is it a hit or a miss or, you know, reasons why. Um, okay. So we'll get started. Stuck straight in, and the first thing on the list for today then is replicators. That's the Star Trek kind, not the Stargate kind. <laughs> the replicators, would yes. you say they're a hit <laughs> or a miss? <laughs> Very important distinction, yes. So, so hit or miss for Star Trek replicators. <laughs> oh, who wouldn't want a replicator? Or again, the Star Trek one. Uh, hmm. Definitely hit. I, I would love that. Sweet. You know, I'd no, no having to cook uh, apart from when you want to. No having to clean up the dishes afterwards, which is which is even better. Mm. Yes, that's a good point. Yeah, uh, and I would normally have I would have agreed with you all day until I was reading this research about the, and I think it was the entire writers' room of Next Gen that said that they hate replicators. They're the worst thing that was ever invented because there's nothing that you can really prevent present them with that would be a challenge because. It's the ultimate god tech. They can just replicate anything. And that's why they tried to come up with these ideas of like certain things can't be and you can't just replicate Latinum or money or whatever. Because um, they were like, it's just, it's too easy. Everything is right there at the push of a button. And I was like, oh yeah, from a storytelling perspective, that would annoy the crap out of me if I was writing, you know? Um, yeah, it, it, it yeah. is kind of a get all out. It's like the Star Trek version of Who's Sonic Screwdriver. Yes, yeah, Doctor Who, sorry, absolutely, yeah, it is, but um, having said that, I mean, and, and I would sort of agree with them, but to give the counter-argument to that is that we already have 3D printers, which are a million miles away from that kind of thing, so in no, like I three... Mean, I, I kind of... It, 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 it's a difficult one. To me personally, it, they can take it too far when you start mm. having vehicle, you know, equipment replicators. I mean, if you, if you have food replicators, then obviously why not? But it does become then a get all out for plot. Uh, yeah, and I, actually, one of that's one of the things. It, 
again, it, some people might have had an issue with it. I'm not sure. I was. I went to look around these things, but that's one of the things I loved recently in Discovery when they pointed out that it's it's not just things magicking out of nowhere. It's like your food is your reconstituted waste, for want of a better word. Yeah. So it's like, okay, if you're actually giving me that this is just something else in a different form rather than just I am going to have magically food or whatever you want to peer out of somewhere. Like if there's an exchange and a trade-off of like one material for another, then I'm way more on board with that than just like, I want such and such. Now I have it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, but I think once yeah. they introduced the holodeck, it kind of became a free-for-all. Because mm -hmm. obviously they're bringing the taking matter from a bank and putting it on, so you can enjoy this vacation on the holodeck. So, yeah, why wouldn't they have that kind of thing for the food? Absolutely, but uh, yeah, just to, to give my particular actual uh, score, though, I would say soft hit, but with the limitations in place. That, like I said, things can't just come from nowhere. There has to be some kind of trade off, and there has to be, like I said, certain things that there are that just can't replicate because they're either too complicated in their molecular structure or or whatever the reason is within story so i think I'll soft hit if that. they're used well yeah i'll agree with that but as they say there's coffee in that there nebula <laughs> any excuse for that quote yes <laughs> nice. awesome awesome uh well, i'll move us to the next one then and the next character on my list for today is the character of bruce maddox uh would you say he is a hit or a miss mm. It's a miss for me. Anybody okay, that could awesome. uh, automatically see uh, an android as a piece of property to be exploited mm -hmm. rather than an individual, especially when they've shown sentience. And even g going on to Picard after that yeah. entire measure of a man, even going on to Picard after that, he still kind of never gave up. He's this little, what I would term, petty obsession. Yes, you can... Study the 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 field of uh, you know robotics and androids, but he, he mm. never seemed to kind of let that one go. And Fair as a character, he, he just he just came away thinking, no, no. The only thing I would ask to that is that is that not like a perfect usage of that character's function though? Because I'm not asking you like to say is the character likable as such, but oh, are well, they yeah. kind of? You know? I'm, I'm looking at it from a term of likable, and he's no, he's a, yeah. Shit, but uh, I mean, like, is it is it a good creation in terms of like? It's a good creation. He, he, he yeah. does get the point off, the point yeah. across. Sorry, and in that respect, he he's a hit. But is it, it to me? I class him in the same function as things like mm. the Borg. Right. He's just an obstacle to be presented. If he wasn't going to be that character, it would have been another character. Because the issue I would have imagined anyway in Star Trek would have come up eventually. Yeah. Maddox is just the the whipping boy that ended up with it i would agree and i would say that's the reason why i would call the character a miss is that um you can't call him a character he is the personification like you said of an issue and he never really gets any development beyond that even in picard he's basically no. he, he he's a narrative device and that's it and they waste him he's for a, me he's a side both times. <laughs> for, a, for a bunch of political viewpoints and when i mean they, they talk about him in picard you don't see him for most of the series and when you do see him he's there for a short amount of time there's a fascinating story there with the fact that data not being emotional just doesn't have a grudge and so you get i think it's data's day when he reveals that he's like writing to that character with like the specifics of his day and stuff and i was like that would have been fascinating to see but we never see that in his actual appearances he's just like i said like you're a jerk and you're the problem that we've overcome this week you know um yeah, yeah it would have been nice to see 
it would have been nice to see him on the on the receiving end of some of these letters and develop yeah, him exactly. more, even as a background character. You know, like they did with Barkley in Voyager. Just yeah. have a kind of cutaway every so often. And would it, would it annoy him? Would it frustrate him? Would he have come round in the end? It's It, it does seem like show a us, way I think it's a chance to have shown us real growth because that's certainly the implication is that because Data doesn't hold a grudge, he's like, oh, wow, this is, you know, maybe, maybe I've been wrong about these supposed machines and I'm being, you know, I'm taking these letters and studying this guy's daily life and he's being kind enough to let me and like I said, there's a chance to really have grown that character beyond it, but for all we know, he never grew because we never got to see it. <laughs> so, no. Yeah. And what what, yeah. what we did see, there was very little growth, but when there's very little there to begin with, the, the character, Miss, and uh, what, what he represented, Miss, if only for the fact that they could have done so much more with him past mm. simply having him as a antagonist. Yeah, and I'm just on the same page with you, really, so I can just echo what you said. So, awesome. Um, so the next thing on my list is an episode of Next Gen with a very weird title. Um, I'm hoping it um, sparks the memory banks, and you know what I'm referring to when I say it's the episode 11001001 from Next Gen. Is it a hit or a miss? <laughs> it's, a, it's a hit. The reason why is I'm surprised. It, I My capacity being as old as i am for memory and memory lapses and recognizing names of episode titles is appalling okay. for some reason i can remember 11001001 it was <laughs> the episode where next generation first clicked for me okay cool encounter at firepoint it was okay i wasn't entirely sold code of honor get in the bin when, yeah. it came to, when it came to to that one, uh, that that's when the potential for me started to appear. I loved the binars. Well, I loved mm. them at the time. On our recent rewatch, I wasn't that keen. But I think they're another thing that could be developed really well. But it's a shame they've only appeared once. Especially having them in an episode with the Borg when they're two sides of that same coin, and it's like they they are complete cybernetic yeah. integration gone right and the Borg are the same thing gone wrong. Why have they never been on screen together? It would have been <laughs> nice to see some binars, say, in Picard. Yeah. Just, you know, say, on the, the cube reporting to Hugh or something like that. It would have been nice to get little touches like that involved. That, yeah, yeah. But when I first saw it, that was the one thing that, it, for some reason, as aliens, they clicked with me yeah they are because they're so alien and it's such a cool idea really, yeah so. the, the 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 kind of subplot with minuet i love that it's you, i can take it or leave it yeah it's i i get what they were trying to do and i get it's important to the plot to I, I find that shocking on. because minuet's like the original vic fontaine in a lot of which he is but i don't know if it <laughs> if Riker, if uh jonathan frakes hadn't settled into his role yet but it comes across like pure daytime soap opera cheese. Oh, I'm I'm all for it, me. I don't know why. Me, I'm just an old uh, soppy romantic at heart. But... I like every every jazz apart from Dixieland because you can't dance to it. And <laughs> it, it it came across to me that as in yes, you're trying to establish a backstory for Riker, but you're kind of trying a little too hard. Oh, I loved it. But I think I also I really loved that kind of sci-fi-ish twist at the end that it was just like without the binars there giving you the advanced tech, the computer couldn't replicate 
the same thing. And I was like, that's mind blowing. I was a kid when I first saw that, and I was like, whoa, the the like moral and philosophical implications. Oh yeah, the, of the just that alone, are fantastic. Like, but to me, this, <laughs> to me, the cheese outweighed any kind uh, of philosophical application because I, I get it where they were going for. I get it. I'm, I'm actually in pain thinking about it because it was it was it was such a great concept, but the way that Frakes and forgive me, I'm not sure of the actress's name uh, played it. I don't recall either. It, as I say, it just came across like Days of Our Lives, but it could oh. down just it could just be down to be them not finding the feet yet because as I say, it's in the same season as Code of Honor, so they can they can pretty much be forgiven for it. So for me, it's it's a hit. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, and I'd say a hit because, geez, see, I thought I did know that actress's name and I was right if I'd had the confidence to go for it. Her name's Carolyn <laughs> McCormick. Uh, um, best known for her role in Law and Order, apparently. Um, well, I, but I've yeah, really I think <laughs> because I had a massive crush on that character anyway and because she looked pretty incredible. I mean, they did a great job with kind of hair and makeup and everything anyway. Uh, um, now, now we know where you like it, Mike. <laughs> it's what I would call Howard the Duck syndrome. It's why I like the movie Howard the Duck. <laughs> Because of Leah Thompson. You're yeah, absolutely yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> you are not wrong. You see, yeah. taste. <laughs> but no, as I said, that central idea was mind blowing enough anyway. But I already kind of had developed a very young crush on Carolyn McCormick. Um, and, but you are right in that it, perhaps it was a bit of overkill to have them in the kind of, you know, soft lens, you know, jazz bar situation, like yeah. with the cheesy lines and stuff. But, yeah. I, I, maybe it's because I was really young, so I was very not discerning at the time, but I was like, this is what romance is. Yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, at the time, I was... Oh, crikey. I, I was a teen, so mm. to me, that entire thing was just... You know you know what it's like when you're Fair in your teen and you just say, oh, my God, no! I was probably about, like, 10 or 11 when I first saw it, so I was uh, I was at the age probably I was just discovering girls, and I was like, ooh, uh, well, what's I, this I was, about? <laughs> it was 87, wasn't it? So I was uh, yeah. 13. It wouldn't have been 87 when I watched it, because we always got things a year or two after the Americans, and it wouldn't have been the first time around that I saw it either. So it was probably more like 1991, 92-ish. Oh, we, I yeah. saw it before that, because we used to have a, a couple of video stars that would get in ah. uh, tapes. They, they had one tape with Encounter at Firepoint, which I ended up buying and just wore it out because i watched it that many times and every so often you will get a couple of another couple of episodes and it was very spotty and it would show the entire next generation crew on the cover with yeah. the view screen from the bridge on the back and i remember there was you know every time you would go into the video store and you see star trek the next generation and it had got a little different image on that view screen <laughs> my blood started pumping like uh, i remember one going in once and seeing the enterprise firing against a ferengi ship and thinking oh, that God. looks like the best thing ever <laughs> and then watching the episode and seeing where i could do that you know tasha okay. anybody yeah. and thinking okay <laughs> okay the image was better <laughs> uh, I kind of like those early episodes, but it's been a while since I've seen them. We'll get to them and for review purposes, I'm sure, at some point. But uh, yeah, yeah. As I, say, I wasn't even really a Trek fan at the time I first saw that particular episode. I think it was just kind of something that was on at a random time on BBC Two, and I was 
either doing homework or something and it was just on and I was paying half attention. But then I saw this gorgeous woman and was like, what's this storyline about? And then I was like, these aliens are really cool. They're kind of he was hooked. <laughs> they're kind of clones and cybernetic. And I like and then, like I said, the fact that they'd ended with that almost Twilight Zone type thing of just like computer replicate the same character and they couldn't. And it was like, no, the binars with their advanced technology created a very sentient, very real woman kind of thing. And it was like, yeah, it, it did have that Twilight <laughs> Zone kind of kind of ending. Yeah. Yeah. Which I mean, that was the first time I'd experienced like a twist ending, I guess, at that point as well. So. Fair enough. Um, I'll go to the next uh, thing on the list anyway, then. And the next thing is the character of Juan from uh, from Star Trek Voyager. That's Juan, not Juan. <laughs> Just to clarify. Character uh, this has slipped my mind completely. The character, um, it's from the, I think, second episode of Series 5, when um, Seven of Nine's nanoprobes infect the Doctor's hollow meta and create like a 31st century Borg. Um, who's not part of the collective, and he's basically kind of joins the Voyager crew and becomes. Oh, I actually, I actually really enjoyed that episode. Okay, okay, cool. cool. Uh, I can't remember. I, I, I can remember. I can glean it. Seven of oh, I'm, I'm just looking it up here as, as you talk. Okay, fair enough. Uh, That's good. Yeah, uh, I actually liked it. I liked the. Uh, I won't say updated considering it's saying the future but i like the future version of the bog i actually it looked yeah it looked futuristic yeah 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 i'm with you on that absolutely um yeah uh yeah any other thoughts on the episode <laughs> i honestly honestly as i say i only Can't i remember. only watched them for the first time a couple of uh, years ago <laughs> and um, it's not really remained in memory all i can remember i mean there, there there's episodes that i remember liking and episodes not liking and episodes i absolutely loathed but uh, the episode that that was one of the ones that I I, I really enjoyed. Um, yeah, I'll go ahead and I'll, I'll give you my thoughts because I'm very I've seen it a lot, so I can probably talk a bit more on it. But um, I would say it's a massive hit. I love the idea of it of like a a Borg that's so advanced that it, even the Borg would want to catch him, but he's not part of the collective and stuff. Um, but mainly, I just think that central performance. It's an actor called J. Paul Bomer who also played the Nazi captain in the killing game, if you remember that, the holodeck episode. Oh, oh um, right. Yeah, and it's crazy. It's crazy to me that those two characters are night and day. Like, I hate that Nazi hologram commandant so much, but yet I kind of wept for the loss of the character of one played by the same exact actor. <laughs> you know, so, um, it was a just, very good episode. You, yeah. Again, it's something that you would have liked to have seen stretched out mm. for maybe a season. Huh, that would Star that Trek, might have worked really well, yeah. With Star Trek, he has so many amazing concepts that he can that he can pull from. That yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. You kind of they kind of get thrown away in all the mix, and they make an absolutely. outstanding episode. But more on, on a lot of other shows, that concept yeah. can be stretched to at least half a season arc. Well, and, I mean, yeah, the central kind of the 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 threat in a way is just. He's so advanced, we cannot let the Borg get him. And you could do a lot with that. Like you said, like a continuing arc of just like, oh, crap, the Borg are attacking. And it's not about, obviously, the usual, we don't want them to destroy us or assimilate us. It's like, do not let them get their hands on this one guy because his technology is so advanced that we don't want them getting it, you know? Um, exactly. Yeah, you could get, you could get like a central conceit out of that that would, that you could easily get some of the philosophical moral, moral dilemmas that you are doing counter usually in episodes like Tuvix and stretching out with a character yeah. that 
you know, no offense to people that like Tuvi, it could stretch it out with a character that people actually can get on board with. Yeah, because there's also the moral kind of point of that episode, which gets a little bit lost in the shuffle, which is that he integrates the Doctor's hollow emitter into him. So for him to live, he takes away the Doctor's freedom, which yeah. they don't make anything out of. And again, that could have been fascinating because like the Doctor's not going to, as a Doctor, he wouldn't take life or whatever anyway. But if, like you said, that character had lived for a while longer because he pretty much dies and the Doctor's like, right, straight in, getting me a meter back. But if he'd had to be, to actually face, like this character's life is taking away my my freedom i'm limited to being in one place because this guy exists there's huge potential for stories exactly. there, but, yeah. but, but but again like i say i think it's just down to the format of star trek and the quality of the writers on shows like star trek where any other show would take that and stretch it out even to mm. the point of oblivion where it gets completely mundane and boring and yeah. just get these amazing concepts and they're, they're just hit after hit after hit and they're just used up and thrown away after one episode because they're on to the next thing. That's fair enough. Awesome. Um, yeah. Uh, and I see, I did think it's a massive hit because even with that in mind, it does manage to get all of that in and the central performance. And I always just remember the moment at the end when um, he's kind of beamed back, but he's so severely damaged because he's basically sacrificed himself to destroy an attacking Borg sphere. And Seven of Nine just sort of says something like, I wouldn't know how to go on without you. I feel in pain. And he just says something like, you will adapt. And I was like, oh, three words that just broke yeah. my heart. <laughs> you know? um, and again, I mean, just, uh, the, go on, sorry. Yeah, the, the, the fact that that does that to a known character, because Seven of Nine rarely got a chance to show that level of emotional growth. Um, so because it's like her son, I guess, in a way, um, she gets the chance to really experience that loss. And like, a, for the first time, I don't know what to do with myself because I'm feeling a flood of actual emotions as opposed to just annoyance that I'm not an individual now. Yeah, so, you've made me want to watch that episode now. Like I said, oh, when you first well, brought well, it up, well. I couldn't really remember it, but uh, <laughs> it's brought back it's... memories of it, and I'm thinking, I really want to watch that again. Well, I'm going to move to the next thing on the list then for today, um, and we've kind of already touched on this a little bit, but I'm curious, uh, you know, any more thoughts on it, and it's just simply holodecks. Would you say they're a hit or a miss? <laughs> I think they're a hit. I okay. think, again, they can be used in extremely silly scenarios after the amount of trouble that the holodeck gave the enterprise in next generation why they weren't yeah. discontinued across starfleet i have no well, idea some i remember reading somewhere and i wish i could remember who it was because it was so true that the holodeck was invented because it gave them something other than the transporter to malfunction and i was like yes you're absolutely right if that's, it wasn't the transporter it was the holodeck you know? that's fair enough you would you yeah. would think that if it you know oh, You'd think they would start to set set limits on it. As a concept, mm. it's fantastic. And and when I first saw Encounter at Farpoint, I was blown away by it. Yeah, I think, like I said, I would say the same as I did with uh, with Replicators, in that it depends on the actual writer is using it well and that there are limitations in place. Um, in that, you know, you can't... Obviously, you shouldn't really have characters leaving the confines of the holodeck. Um, unless you, you get into like future characters like Holographic Doctor or Holographic Janeway or even Vic Fontaine who are like quite sentient. But if it's just basically like a 3D interactive TV show, I guess, that concept is fantastic and there's no reason why we wouldn't have that in the future because we're almost there if you think of like yeah. virtual reality and stuff. So I think, yeah, Massive Hit is just a an extrapolation of technology and again, I mean, the original series was notorious for it, but in the 80s, we wouldn't have an idea that things would develop to the level they have now. And yet, to my mind, we're almost at holodeck. <laughs> so, yeah, um, yeah. 
yeah. it would be great to have that. Yeah, it would. And uh, like I said, as long as you don't, like obviously you would always have safety protocols on. Why Why do they have such a thing as safety protocols? Just leave them always on. Don't let them be turned off. Because that's so stupid. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't mean to skip ahead, hmm. but it, it goes back okay. to the scene in It's Only a Paper Moon, where they're pretty much okay. lambasting Julian for his different yeah, kind yeah, of holiday yeah. program. But you so yes. would. You would be doing all you that. If, if, if I was there, I would be begging uh, Miles and Julian if I could join him on their, you know, the RAF bombing and at the Alamo. Oh, yeah. And... It's it's not that removed from what we do now. There's no way that anybody's like nobody's watching the James Bond films dispassionately as like, yes, we we will examine the artistic merits. You want to be part of that story. Yes. And having a go at Julian, like, oh, that stupid secret agent program. Don't pretend you wouldn't love it. Everyone yeah, of you would have. Hey, hey, and everybody's just <laughs> ripping them to bits. And I love that scene. Yeah, it's about the only bit of like real levity, I think, and humor in the episode. But yeah, it's great. It is. Uh, we'll get to it. Though. <laughs> we will. Um, I'm going to do one more then because we've uh, we, we've talked a lot, but it's always good. We've got a lot of Star Trek thoughts and opinions. Um, the last thing for the hit or miss for today um, is a personal favorite ship of mine and another one that I've bought from Eagle Moss. Again, sponsor me. Um, <laughs> and I don't know if you'll know what I'm referring to when I say this. It's the ship called the Merchantman from Star Trek Three. Oh. I had such a crush on that ship. I did too. That's why I bought it, and it's the model is so good. <laughs> when I when I saw Star Trek three, at that point, you'd not seen that many different varieties of ships. You'd hmm. seen your Klingon ships, and you'd seen your Federation ships. You'd seen the Romulan ones, but you'd you'd just seen a couple of them back in the original series. But in the movies, when it yeah. came to that. It was such a nice little design. I mean, obviously, it was so nice they used it so many times after. But <laughs> yeah, exactly, it was, yeah. It was such a beautiful little ship. And at the time, I ended up getting, I don't know if you ever if you ever bother with role-playing games or strategy games. There was Not, I, mean, Trek, I used to a bit, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, there was a Star Trek Three game, uh, a Starship combat game, and it had okay. a little booklet of various ships from the films and ones that they've made for the game and i would just pour over that little <laughs> designs of different ships and you could get oh, the yeah. little lead miniatures and i was desperate to get yeah. that that one so oh I'm, I'm kind of envious that you got that eagle moss if you're listening I, if you want to send me one i don't mind. i thoroughly recommend that model because it is it's one of the ones that rarely uh that you rarely get that's almost entirely metallic so it's quite heavy and it's got some weight to it and it looks yeah. so good. It's, it's just, it's yeah. definitely a hit for me. I love the design of that ship. It's so. Um, this subtle. is not just me then. <laughs> no, no, it's so subtle, but it's just uh, spot on. Hit. Awesome. The only thing that I um, confused me when I got the model is that I wasn't sure if they maybe um, turned it backwards from how it was originally supposed to be because it has what looks like guns on the sort of tips of the wings, for want of a better word, but they're facing backwards. So I'm like. Did they just turn the design around because it looked better? Because why would they be facing the wrong way? Anyway. It's, it's certainly possible. Stranger things have happened. Oh, yeah. I mean, the Shenzhou was supposed to be the other way around, but they just flipped it upside down <laughs> for, <laughs> for Discovery. And then you flip it upside down and you get the uh, Shepherd class. It's the same yeah. shit. See, I didn't know that. Yeah, it's amazing. When you have the models, you can do these things. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. I've got this image now of you just sat in cross-legged <laughs> on a carpet with all your ships going pew-pew. 
<laughs> it's not too far from the truth. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. The most famous one, obviously, though, is um, the orbital space complex from the motion picture turned upside down yeah. became regular one in the Wrath of Khan. Regular one, yeah. Yeah, which is amazing. That was quite think. clever because it looked, it looked kind of nice in both. Yeah. In, in, in both. You and know, it's different enough, yeah, completely. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome, that's cool. Well, I'll do, yeah, obviously, you know, as I said, I love the Merchantman. I love the model of it now that I have it. It was the first kind of non-Starfleet ship that I really fell in love with. And I was like, this just looks cool. The, the, the profile of it. The, the design. Yeah. The design in Trek 3, because that was really the first time mm. that we saw the Bird of Prey. They... I mean, when you look at what that film gave us, and people criticise the film, which is unfair anyway, in my opinion, because it's a good film. But without that film, that gave us the Oberth class, the Excelsior class, the Klingon yeah. Bird of Prey, the Merchantman, just the design alone in that film. They, they hit it that out of the park. And I, I know it looked as a kind of cheap cousin to Wrath of Khan, mm. but I, it's, it's enjoyable, it's fun, it has some amazing scenes, it has some amazing lines. Oh, I love it. And it's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. But I don't think it, I think it's been very unfairly misaligned in the years yeah. since. I agree. I agree. Um, awesome. Uh, that will probably conclude the hit or miss section because it's going to be another long episode, I feel. But uh, yeah, that was uh, that was good. I enjoyed talking Trek anyway. And uh, obviously, always with people that know their stuff, which is always good. Yeah. But as I say, we will get into the uh, episode review and we will begin our analysis. That's fine. Analysis. Uh, yeah, this week uh, we're looking at, as has been mentioned a few times, the Deep Space Nine episode, It's Only a Paper Moon, which fits into our overall theme because of the very unique AI nature of Vic Fontaine as a kind of sentient self-aware hologram. But it's also just an excuse to talk about an episode that also deals with big, important other issues um, involving the character of Nog. Um, so as I did last week, if you have listened to that, I just wanted to start off with a couple of fast facts about the episode itself. So there's less of them for this episode. Um, and the, the biggest thing to note about this episode is that it started life years before it was actually brought to fruition as um, an idea for a money-saving episode, uh, which was going to take place entirely at Quark's Bar and just have it be, uh, I think they said it was a Bajoran holiday and everything else was closed. So it was just going to be a couple of the regulars in Quark's in that one set, um, which eventually developed into now it's going to be the Hollow Suite, but we're going to do three stories um, and one of them was going to be this Nog dealing with the loss of his leg story. Um, but in the development of that storyline, they realized that that was overpowering the two more kind of lighthearted stories and that they had enough to make an entire episode out of just that. So fascinating that it started life completely different. And then, like I said, it wasn't supposed to, because they said it, it's unusual in that it's, uh, it's an episode that focuses entirely on two guest stars. They're not main characters. It gives it, It's a chance for kind of James Darren and Aaron Eisenberg, the late great, to shine um in this episode but um yeah it's cool um and yeah a few other things that i just wanted to note about it um after the episode aired aaron eisenberg was contacted by combat veterans who told him his performance was very true to life and complimented him i, I would probably uh, second that <laughs> even though I, I don't have the experience to say that really but i can certainly see how that would have been the case um according to ronald Moore, this is one of his favorite episodes that he worked on. Uh, the director, Anson Williams, described the episode as a top five episode of the series. And uh, it was selected by the authors of Star Trek, The Book of Lists, as one of the best DS9 episodes. Um, and the final little bit of nerdy trivia for the episode is, although it's speculative, it's possible that this is when the events of Star Trek Insurrection happens, because Worf appears very fleetingly in the first scene 
and then doesn't appear for a couple of episodes. So it's probably where, why he's away. Um, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, awesome. So any thoughts on those, uh, those facts and bits and pieces then, uh, DK? Yeah, I remember reading about the uh, Everybody Comes to Quarks. I'm glad mm. we ended up with yes. the episode. Although I would have liked to have seen the episode Everybody Comes to Quarks. I'm glad we did end up with the episode that we eventually got. Yeah, because it's powerful stuff. And like I said, it is dealing with very heavy themes. And yet, I think threads that line really well, not to get too spoilery into the actual uh, scoring of it. But uh, yeah. Um, so uh, as you know, because we did our kind of diehard review, I'm just going to go through the episode kind of piece by piece chronologically and discuss some things. If there's anything I've skipped over or you want to kind of talk about anything in more detail, just chime in um, and I'll let you do that, obviously. Okay. Um, so the first thing that's worth mentioning is that this episode is basically a, a direct sequel to an episode two episodes prior called The Siege of AR-558, which I didn't watch um, because, you know, it's not on theme. Um, but you have to basically understand, I think, what happened in that episode, which is it was an epic kind of ground assault between Starfleet and the Jem'Hadar, and it culminated in Nog basically having to lose his leg because it had uh, he'd, he'd been hit by a mine or something. Um, so that had happened already. Um, yeah. Let me just have a look here. Uh, the episode starts, and uh, the first thing I noticed is it's one of the rare Series 7 episodes in which Esri Dax is actually acting like a counsellor. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it seems like that was a weird choice for that character when they hadn't had a counsellor previously, and she barely gets to act in that way. But throughout this episode, she does, so kudos. And I think it's um, actually really good restrained performance by Nicole DeBoer as that, uh, in that role as well. So It is. There's a scene yeah. later on where she really shines in that role. And, yeah, uh, okay. Yeah, it, it would have been nice to see more of her, this side of her, throughout the season. Could not agree more, yeah, absolutely, absolutely um, awesome. Uh, the thing, that, this opening scene is good, but it really throws me that um, they think it's a good idea for everybody to stand there and applaud Nog as he gets off the transport. And then I can't work out if it's like an example of great camaraderie or just really bad taste when they're like, ah medical leave there's nothing wrong with you get back to work kind of yeah thing. he needs work lots of work hard work and lots of it and you say okay okay you're kind of laying the point a little yeah, exactly yeah but yeah just the fact that they all clapped and stuff was just like oh guys did was this a good idea and then like i said the um the fact that it ends very with a very on the nose like incredible hulk style sad walking away music as he like limps off screen i was like yeah. oh this start is not good. I hope it's not going to be. I mean, thankfully, it, it doesn't. Spoiler alert. Get quite as soap opera-y, to use your term, as, as that implies. But, uh, yeah. yeah that's... The, 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 the whole section at the start where uh, Lita and Rama are walking down the corridor with Esri, mm -hmm. it, it kind of falls a little flat, and it does come across as a little soap opera-y. Yeah. And uh, it's, it belies what, what comes later. But it does. It does. For, for what it is, you just think, and again, as you say, whether all stood around clapping. And I, I, I know in real life that, you know, when when the troops come home, the families are there at the side and they're applauding and they're happy to oh, see them because there's no ulterior motive. But it just, it doesn't, it, they come across as, a, it comes across as a, a little sadistic. I'm not sure whether we're supposed to see yeah. it as that from, to identify with Nog a little more. Part of it is probably also the fact that I think, and I could be wrong about this, but I think I read somewhere that on the TV shows and stuff, contractually, you have to have like at least a bulk of your main characters appearing. And this is literally the only appearance of like Kira and Odo and stuff in the episode. So, 
And like I say, it is definitely the only time Worf appears in the episode because then he probably does off to the Enterprise E. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so I think it's a chance to give you like everybody in that one room just so that you can say the regulars have had a scene. Um, yeah. But again, it just comes off a little bit weird, especially when you would think they would, you know, <laughs> common sense would dictate he's probably going to be a bit tender and maybe he would just let his stepmom and dad meet him rather than like an entire honor guard of people applauding him, you know? Yeah, it would have been nice to see a more low key affair. Yeah. You know, yeah, I think it would, have, it would have added to that sense of isolation mm. upon his return. I mean, I, I get that he's at that point you're trying to get across that he feels isolated even in a room full of people he considers his friends but it just seems yeah. a little how can i put it's, it i think it's it's like the only time in the episode where he comes off as more sulky than justifiably like just shell-shocked i guess um, yeah but yeah it's, but it's if i but to be honest if i'd have come back to that i would have probably been a bit pissed oh yeah absolutely yeah yeah that's the thing isn't it but uh but yeah, I mean, it's it's only a very brief scene and it gets you where you need to go in that you now have established that Nog's back on the station. He does not seem happy, obviously, um, but certainly he looks like he's experiencing some real, genuine depths of emotion. And uh, yeah, then we head after the credits to um, another scene of Esri kind of trying her best, I would say. Um, but it's clear that Nog's getting annoyed and, you know, he does even reference he's had lots of counselling and he's sick of talking about his feelings. It obviously isn't helping. It's not really doing anything for him. Um, and we get the first explanation of how, even though he's walking with a cane, everybody says he doesn't need it. And, um, you know, medically, there's nothing actually wrong with him. It's all in his head. Um, and I, again, I really liked Nicole DeBoer's performance because she's very, without seeming patronizing, she's like, well, no, it's understandable. It's very reasonable. You know, um, if you anything that you think that I can help the guy do or, or whatever, um, that would be great. But um, in the end, he's not having it, unfortunately. So Yeah, I can... I can sympathise with both points of view in this. I've yeah. not, I've, I've not suffered combat trauma or anything like that. No. But I do suffer myself from depression. So being in the situation where Nog is undergoing mm. counselling and having, and it can, you can get the feeling that you are being trapped and you are. How can I put this? I think, you, you, I think you just want to be left alone. Yeah, you, it's exactly what he says. You get sick of repeating the same thing over and over again because the implication is that obviously Esri isn't the counsellor that he's been dealing with and he's probably had to have maybe two or three. And talking about the same thing over and over again when he knows that it's not going to end with a positive result, for want of a better way to put it, is yeah. annoying, it's you frustrating. You know people and it, are trying to help, but it can come across as imposing. Yes, exactly. And like you say, it's like, I'm, I don't want to have to explain this all to you again, because I've done it two or three times and here we still are. So it's not going to matter in the end anyway. So yeah. just leave me alone kind of thing, um, which again, very true to life and, and very well acted, I think. So, yeah. Um, and yeah, that's that's when um, Nog sort of heads off to the bedroom for the first time and plays I'll Be Seeing You on a, yeah. a kind of futuristic record player. <laughs> which <laughs> I, I really love that scene because it's very relatable. I think we've all been at the very least, even if we don't suffer from sort of mental issues and things, um, we've all been angsty teenagers who have went to our room and put on like a record. Probably wasn't Definitely. an old kind of uh, an old swing record, but yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, the only this is such a nitpick. But the only thing that bugs me is that Nog sits rigidly on his bed, fully clothed. He never gets under the covers, and he's never not dressed in any no. of these scenes. 
like, you're in bed, dude. Get comfy. <laughs> yeah. You, you would, I'd, I'd just be lying there with the blankets over my head. Yeah, exactly. But uh, anyway, that's such a nitpick. But um, yeah, I, I do kind of, um, they, they do have an, a scene of explaining that he's kind of just, despite what we see, he is actually sleeping for too long and the counseling isn't working and people are getting worried about him. So it's good that they're addressing that people care. Um, which would should be obvious, but it's nice that we at least get a little scene of uh, people talking about that. Um, yeah, and I do like that. Like Jake obviously gets annoyed because I forgot that he and Nog lived together for a while before the episode. But uh, until he comes in and says, "Will you stop playing this thing?" Yeah, but I do like it's relatable as well that Jake gets annoyed and he's like, he's the first person to really cut through the BS and be like, "Look, I understand, I sympathise with you, but if you play that song again, you know, I, I try to get some rest and then." It's it's interesting to me on on a big level that it's Jake that gives him the the central idea of the episode because he's the one that's like if you want to hear the song again go rent a hollow suite and that's what prompts everything that follows. Yeah. Um, so yeah, again, Trek sort of good writing in in that opinion, in that way in my opinion. Um, yeah. Uh, the next scene I noticed because it was very stylistic, but it was also pretty harrowing because it's when. Nog has decided to go to the Hollow Suite, and you track him very slowly through the station, which is surprising in like a forty-five minute episode that it's taking the time to track him, like walking the corridors and into the the lift and stuff. Yeah. Um, but it's also it, it peppers this with flashbacks to the the siege of AR five five eight, and and I think it's from that episode the horrible blood curdling scream that Aaron Eisenberg gives. It's so friggin' horrible that I hate yeah. it. But it's uh, yeah, it makes the blood curdle. But uh, obviously, I mean, probably quite realistic, quite true to life. But oh boy, it puts you on a back foot when you're like, yeah, I know where you're coming from now, dude. You know. Um, so yeah, uh, obviously, I, I think this episode shows just how good. Well, obviously, that scene was from the previous one, but that one and this mm. one, it showcases just how good an actor he was. Oh, completely. And I mean, it, it only gets better. And then when we get to the scenes later, I'm sure I will mention knocking it out of the park in certain areas but uh yeah good throughout but um anyway so then we get our um this this is kind of where we come into the theme of this podcast series because we get vic introducing himself and talking about how um oh you're you're rom's kid he's very proud of you you're the soldier and stuff uh showing that he's not just you know he, he doesn't just think he's a kind of crooner from the 50s and 60s or whatever he's aware of things on the station and knows that he's like a 24th century hologram but still yeah. fits in those parameters, which is, again, fascinating in, in a lot of ways. Um, and then, yeah, the fact that Nog requests the tune um, and says we get the official explanation now that he says it's helped him once when he was unhappy, to which Vic says, well, what more could you ask from a song? And then we get, I'm not sure how to describe this. It is kind of a flashback to ER558, but it never appeared in that episode. But it's no, a flashback where he's lying to... on the uh, on the trauma bed, and the song's yeah, it's a flashback to what's uh, like just after that when he's on the trauma bed, and he, that's when he first heard "I'll be seeing you," and it obviously must have helped him in some way to get through the trauma of Julian telling him he was going to lose his leg and everything. <clears throat> but it was good that we got an explanation for that, and I, I really loved that. Um, yeah, I've been wondering so... at that point why is he listening to this song in particular. Yeah, and again, it's very relatable as somebody who has in the past suffered depression and stuff. I have had that thing where you latch onto just a certain song and you do just play it over and over again and you're like, it was yeah. the last time I felt anything and it was just a question of, I just wanted to feel something and it helped me get through it. And and you do, you play it to death and then you get really sick of it the way that, you know, Vic says he's done 15 different arrangements of the same song or whatever. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, I do. Uh, I do think that was cool. But again, I do like as well the little humorous joke that Vic says. Uh, oh, let me guess, it was Julian that played it for you. If that guy was my agent, I'd be bigger than Elvis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, <so cool. laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh dear. But uh, yeah. I, t I just uh, I was trying to at this point decipher like what the point of the song well, not the point but what the meaning behind it was and I was like is it saying that he's listening to it all the time because he's lost in the trauma but no because he's clearly enjoying it so maybe he's lost in he's lost in the coping mechanism of just like well I felt something here so I'm just going to repeat this in the hope that it'll spark something um, but yeah it's still it's still brilliant I mean like I said in this kind of cookie science fiction version of las vegas it's a, an unusual uh, level of depth for me so, yeah yeah um i like that vic is the character that straight up asks about the leg uh, for the first time he'd never beat around the bush because again for a character that's not not real for want of uh, a nicer way to put that he's like you know is it uh, does it still hurt you know uh, people say it's in the head but vic still does believe that he needs a cane even though we later find out he doesn't but he's still He's nice enough to humour him without seeming like he's taking the mick. Um, he's, he's completely sympathetic, and that's this is the episode, going back to like, this is the episode that sold me on Vic. He's mm. he's forthright and he's honest, and he's also incredibly sympathetic. It, that at this point, even though they're trying to help him through his trauma, you don't necessarily see that viewpoint from any of the regular cast members. Yeah. Yeah, completely. Um, and it, it does take Vic, like you said, to really get to, to, to the key point. So it's good. Um, yeah. And then, as I said, the, the key actual bit of dialogue I wrote down here, because it basically sums up the episode, which is Nog just saying, I don't want to go back to my life. Um, and then asking, you know, can he stay here in the suite in the hotel within the hollow suite? Uh, which, you know, it's, again, it's key that Vic is self-aware enough to be like, oh, yeah, I guess. But it's not, you know. It's it's just a hollow suite. It's not a real room, but you're welcome to stay with me, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, um, the next scene you've already mentioned because uh, you've said it was uh, a, a rare bit of levity in this episode when they're having the meeting about uh, Nog kind of losing himself in the hollow suite, and they all start taking the mick out of Julian. <laughs> yeah. Um, they mentioned what is it? At least it's yes. not that ridiculous Viking program yeah, or the Alamo program. It, uh, it is nice to see that kind of camaraderie. There's something in here that really bugs me, though, and it's because it's like the third time in the episode already when Esri's like, I think the best thing we can do is wait. And I'm like, you are the worst counsellor. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> is yes. that your answer to everything? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and to be honest, like, when he comes to the station, just I wait. I think she kind of thinks that she's been that great herself anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, I get it. Don't want to push or whatever anyway. But the fact is, he arrived at the station and she said, well, we should wait. He was sleeping all day. Well, we should just wait. He's now locked himself basically in the hollow suite in a fantasy world. Well, we should just wait. I was like, Esri, is your answer to yeah. everything? Just wait. Do you know but what I mean? It's just, one, it's just one step. Like, he's in one of the pylons. He's got 25 hostages and a, and a gun. <laughs> I think we should wait, Captain. I think the situation will just play itself out. It'll be fine. <laughs> It really is, though. Uh, anyway, uh, but yeah, so obviously um, they mentioned that there is kind of precedent for this because on medical leave, Nog can choose whichever rehab facility he wants, and if he wants it to be the Hollow Suite, fair enough, um, which explains why he's allowed to do it, I guess. And on a more pragmatic level, we do get that funny scene where Quark asks who's paying for all the Hollow Suite time, and yeah. then on Cisco's look, just goes, well, I guess I am. <laughs> <laughs> and Cisco's fantastically sarcastic, Cisco-y response of, and very generous in his view, too. 
I like it. But, uh, yeah. So then, uh, obviously, it, it is nice as well that I think, as much as I criticised as we just then, she does kind of still take a, a a more leading role in Nog's recovery. So she does go to Vic and say, um, you know, do you have any ideas to wean him off the stick? Um, you know, uh, and again, Vic plays his cards close to his chest, but you know there's something going on there, which again is incredible for a supposed, like, fake person hologram. Um, and then, uh, obviously, he goes back to his room and sees that Nog is watching Shane, uh, which I th found fascinating because, again, th this is so almost out of place, but yet such a brilliant discussion when he's like, it's unrealistic. He was just shot a moment ago, and now he's, like, walking around like everything's fine. And I was like, wow, yeah. this <laughs> this is a shocking discussion about, like, the unrealistic nature of uh, war films and stuff. But, yeah, yeah. he's not wrong. <laughs> you know? um, and it's not uh, just war films. I think, it, I think it touches upon the fact that this is a show where it has consequences. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, in any other show or prior to, obviously back in the the original series, one episode, uh, you know, Spock is blinded, then he's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uhura gets yeah. a memory completely rewiped. Oh, By the next episode, she's sat there at the communications desk. There, there was never, even in Next Generation, there were never really any consequences. And I think this is the I, first well, time that you actually see we discussed, these consequences. We discussed this last week, and I would counter that there was... That is the case, but I think the very first time we see otherwise is straight after the best of both worlds in oh, family. With family, um, yeah. Yeah, because that That's is a real consequence. fantastic episode yeah. with regards to yeah. uh, PTSD. Oh, completely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I probably should have put it on the list, but um, again, Best of Both Worlds 1 and 2 took two hours, so having another episode tagged on would have took a bit longer. But, uh, yeah. Um, I also like it when uh, this is just purely because of me being a film nerd, but I also like that um, Nog kind of turns off Shane in disgust and says, I like the searchers better. And Vic replies, yeah, who doesn't? Yeah. Because yes, <laughs> who actually doesn't? The searchers exactly. is a great movie. Yeah. <laughs> It's, it was yeah i love i love little touches like that yeah it just brings the the, the world to life doesn't it but yeah, it, make, it makes it feel that. like it's not a show that you're actually with real people yeah the next thing that interested me because again i was kind of looking at it with one eye on the kind of advanced ai part of the podcast and it was like vic explains that even though he knows that everything's fake it's real to him so he still thinks he has these money issues and uh, he can't cancel his gig because performing is his life it's what he does um, so he's kind of got that going on even within, you know, he, he doesn't have the existential crisis of what's the point, none of it's real. It's like, look, this is what I am I live for, I do it, it's cool. Uh, and again, there's a huge kind of philosophical discussion, I guess, to be had there um, that you could potentially be like, wow, is that like, are we a little bit like that in that we get our patterns and established points of life and just think, no, it's what we do and we could break out of it, but we don't kind of thing. Um, or maybe, maybe I'm just getting too deep. <laughs> yeah. I would say he's yeah. every bit as self-aware as, say, the uh, the medical program, the EMH and Voyager. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And, oh, definitely. And, and to, yeah, yeah. And to a lot of extent, he's, he obviously far surpasses, in my opinion at least anyway, Moriarty, mm. simply because that he, to Moriarty it was a shock. Vic just takes it in his stride. He That's exactly my is. point, yeah. He's like, I know that the 24th century is out there, but this is my world and it, it means a lot to me. But as you said, Moriarty was just like, this is insane. What is this sorcery kind of thing? Yeah. Um, so he was never able to accept the reality of life, I guess. <laughs> so um, unless yeah. follow sweet programming, I mean, obviously, you know, there are things later on that, that 
kind of discussed this, but unless Holosuite programming has come a long way since Moriarty in those several years, it, mm. uh, it does also invite questions that are never actually asked in DS9 about like, why would anybody create effectively create life by having such a sentient self-aware hologram? Like, yeah. surely that the, the again the moral implications there are very iffy. That's like cloning uh, your own like pet or your own sort of play buddy or whatever. That now it's alive. What do you do with it? You know. Yeah, but, uh, but I think it works in the term of Vic because hmm. unlike someone like if if you took the. Um, Spoilers for anybody who's not seen Picard, but if you took the ending of Picard and took that mm. technology back to Moriarty, Moriarty would have broke their arm off to get hold of that technology so he could live his life outside the holodeck. Mm. I think if Vic was presented with that kind of technology, he wouldn't be interested anyway. No, and we will get into that because that's, again, that's really key, I think, at the very end of the episode. And, and it's what I absolutely love about it and about uh, the kind of that character. Um, but we're not quite there yet, but I do want to definitely touch on that. Um, but where we are now is that Vic basically gives uh, a new stylish Errol Flynn cane to Nog, which yeah. he loves. Um, I don't personally love that it's got a little built-in lighter because, you know, <laughs> we had a discussion about things that wouldn't get past kind of standards and practices nowadays. Nog lighting women's cigarettes in the holodeck is a little bit, uh, hang on, you know. <laughs> but uh, yeah. I do like the little... I do like the little line from Vic, though, which signals that he does know what's going on, where he mentions that yeah. the cane's fragile, so do not put your whole weight on it, as if he's trying yes. to get him to, you know, yeah. refrain. Absolutely. And, yeah, Nog actually literally admits then, oh, well, to be honest, I don't need to put my whole weight on it. Um, yeah. Which is, yeah, it's so key. And it's, again, it's subtle enough that you might not realise it, but at the same time, it's it's the key to everything that carries on from there. So I love it. Um and again, shout out to just how good a performer James Darren is, because I didn't see it when he was uh, when I was talking about um, I'll Be Seeing You. But now he starts singing, what's it called? I Got the World on a String, I believe is the title. Um, yeah. And just a regular night at the club. When Jake walks in with his date, I could never get her name for whatever reason. I just didn't want to stick in my I brain. So. Kesha. 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 Okay, thank you. Because yeah. it just didn't want to go in my brain. But uh, yeah, <laughs> I love that um, we get a little bit of like... Uh, a snippet of what Vic's life is because he has like even patter on stage. He's telling like little jokes and was oh, it something like, Oh, thanks. You were so, so much applause. That's what you get for packing the place with relatives, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, obviously we get in uh, here that the key point of this scene is that Nog kind of has a bit of a chip on his shoulder and he thinks that Kesha is it is um, like staring at him and, and feeling just sorry for him and stuff. Um one thing that stood out to me here is that when Kesha is trying to be nice, and bless her, she really is, when she says, oh, it's uh, you're going to be uh, Starfleet's first Ferengi captain, and he's just like, we'll see. And I'm like, wow, looking back at that now that we know he was, yeah. it got me almost teary-eyed. I was like, oh, that character actually did make it through in the end, you know? He does, this is the scene where he does, like, lash out and attack Jake, <laughs> you know, for, uh... and again, I love that Vic has the kind of presence of mind to to immediately kick Nog out. Um, for it, like you've crossed the line here. This is not acceptable, kind of thing. Um, yeah. Do you like that angle? Because it, well, I'm not sure. You know, when you first watch it, you automatically think he's just going to have a friendly word with Jake and get him to go. But no, he comes down on on Nog, and I, yeah. I think that helps begin the the process of Nog actually facing what he, how he's what he's becoming. Yes, exactly, exactly. Um... But I think it's also needed, like in that regard. Like I'm not a 
therapist or whatever, but I think that little bit of tough love after the character has been a little bit more unreasonable, let's be honest. And I was surprised at the Kesha character that she's like, oh, it's all my fault. I shouldn't have been staring. And I was like, no, you did nothing wrong, love. No. Do you know what I mean? But, uh, yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, obviously Vic has, has, had uh, had been coddling Nog, mm. for want yeah. of a better word. And yes. then yeah. to see him act like this and thinking this is not going to stand. You just cannot keep doing this when people are trying to be nice to you. Yeah, but again, it shows that Vic has that individuality because you could think, oh, he's just going along with it because it's his nature as a program to be like, you are my current sort of tenant or whatever. And But now you see, no, no, he's definitely aware of there's still got to be limitations that you can't cross here. You, know? you can't just yeah. attack my customers. So it's cool. Tina's back in the room. Obviously, Noka's went back to that suite. And um, Vic points out, you know, they called you a hero when you slugged your best friend. That's I'm never going to compliment you. That's You've got to look at the ludicrous nature of the situation, which yeah. I'm glad he, he kind of tried to drum into him as well. Um, and again, th th this is really key. That's when you first get Vic mentioning he's never been tired before because the program's never run this long and he's never actually put in a full day. But he has yeah. work to do, keeping his books in order now and everything. And he's and he's living that like... spend with other people and... It's, yeah, yeah, Absolutely. it's kind of a wake up call for both of them. Oh, completely. But I love this scene because it's also, it's so, it's so kind of realist, and yet absurd that it's got that almost bit of humor in it. Because he says, like, oh, I need to get the books in order before Uncle Sam comes down on me. Nog's response is, "That sounds like my uncle," which, as we know, is Quark. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's one. And then he's uh, says, "Oh, are you any good at book bookkeeping?" I'm praying in my blood. Um, what what kind of computer you've got? And he hands him a pencil, and then just goes, "It's yeah. 1962. What do you want from me, man?" <laughs> but, um, but then the fact that this little kind of back and forth, almost humorous scene ends with Nog literally saying, "Because Vic's like, well, if you're going to help, I'm going to go to sleep." And he says, "Vic, do you dream?" And then Vic just says good night to him. And I was yeah, like, "That's I a love... huge question, and you're not even addressing it I beyond know, that." I, lo I love that. <laughs> yeah. I love that whole thing. That that oh. It's little moments like that that get me about this episode. And when he asks him that, and you, you just sat there going, what's he going to say? Yeah, so when completely. Says, yeah, I, I just love good it. Oh, it's, it's so good. Um, actually, yeah, awesome, yeah. Because, again, what answer would be – what answer would you, would we want, you know? No, or maybe I do. Exactly. Or... So the next scene is, again, as I've mentioned, Esri is trying her best, and she's back in the club. Uh, Nog's now become an accountant, and he gets the receipts from the last year, but Esri thinks, finally, that it's time for Nog to leave. She's decided waiting probably hasn't uh, paid dividends for her after all. Um, <laughs> Vic, uh, Vic kind of, sort of rails back against this, ironically, and just says, no, no, um, when she says he needs to get back to reality, and he says the kids had too much reality. And then again, you get the kind of the key theme of idea of uh, S3 saying, look, you're just a hologram. I outrank you. Um, and then Vic quotes back the actual Starfleet regulations yeah. about, no, no, Nog can pick wherever he wants to be. And I was like, wow, this guy even knows Starfleet regs? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> That's brilliant. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they can't force him, but he seems like he's kind of lost in a stupid fantasy uh, almost, which then then the scene transitions to the song it's only a paper moon which is the, obviously literally it's the title of the episode because it is the key point is that nog is happier where he is but it's not real life it's fake it's a paper moon yeah. you know which i always i always loved the fact that they chose that title and they actually featured that song because i was like that really just drums your entire point of the episode straight through to you doesn't it um definitely definitely yeah. awesome i couldn't agree um, more on that 
He's, 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 yeah, I love it. I just think every single choice that they made with regards to this episode, well, maybe obviously not the the pre-credit sequence, but everything that they've done on this episode, just perfect. Oh, I agree. Perfect. Even the fact that, like I said, because they kind of lost the other two subplots or whatever, the fact that you have time for the scenes like the scene with Jake uh, and Kesha and Nog, I think that would have been lost in most versions of the script, but it's so key to kind of Nog's development and to show that stumble. Um, that I'm really glad we still got that scene. And I think there's no scene wasted. Like I said, even at the start when it's like tracking him through the station, which somebody, you know, a lesser director might be like, no, no, keep it pacey. We've just got to get him straight. He's, he's in the quarters one minute, he's at the hollow suite the next. And some, they actually were like, no, no, we'll take time and show that he's having flashbacks and everything. It's so cool. Um, it's very effective anyway. So awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, so then obviously we get a little bit of a montage over over the song that's only a paper moon and, and Nog starts acting like a club owner so that when Rom and Lita come in, he's like, I'll get you a seat. It's nice to see you and whatever else. Um, yeah. But it's heart, It's absolutely heartbreaking when they mention that Rom's been promoted and then Nog in his kind of club promoter type way is like, oh, we'll have a great party for you. We'll put a couple of tables together and whatever. And and it breaks my heart when they're like, well, Chief O'Brien already threw a party. It was kind of impromptu, but you were you were here, so you missed it kind of thing. And yeah. like, that's exactly again the, the economical way that that gets across look you may well be comfortable and safe here but you're missing out on living life without having to actively like hammer that home in just that one little scene it's just like oh that's so good it's so brilliant yeah um because it's so, so true yeah. to life you do end up missing out on so much yeah awesome awesome um yeah, and again, the, the, the next moment you get is Esri again coming back because uh, she kind of now wonders if Vic's still talking to her and says he obviously did need a bit of time and Vic sort of saying, look, because he's kind of getting into the fantasy of it all and running this club, I even saw him running upstairs to meet somebody to talk about this new casino idea the other day and stuff. So um, yeah. he does seem like he's a new man. And um, this is, again, it's fascinating to me that Vic, Vic has kind of lost himself there as well because he's like... Um, Oh, I'm going to introduce him to Sammy because we're friends. And then Esri's like, "Oh, I see you're playing. Uh, you're playing this, this close to your chest, but you're going to get Sammy to convince him to leave." And you can see it in Vic's mind. He's like, "Oh crap! I got caught up in this, and uh, yeah, I'm not doing what's think, best for the kid." You know? <laughs> yeah, at that point, I think Vic realizes he's gone from just being a kind of comfort to Nog to realize he's actually become an enabler. Yes, that's exactly that. I, could not have put that better and I wouldn't have written that, but that's exactly right. Absolutely. Exact words I would use. He is, he's an, he realizes the kind of with horror that it's like, oh crap, I'm enabling. And even though this is my world, it's not his kind of thing. Um, awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then again, the fact that he, he has to listen to Esri say to him, well, of course, he's, what are you going to have him live out the rest of him, his life in a hollow suite? Um, you know, it's fair enough. He needs a break from reality, but he has to go back and, Again, the, the dawning, and James Darren just plays it with looks and not even dialogue, the dawning on his face of like, oh, crap, I've uh, yeah. I've gone a little bit too far into this, and she's actually spouting a lot of uh, horrible hard truths to me. <laughs> you know. But uh, And again, I thought that the, the nature of uh, Vic as an AI, having that level of responsibility put on him, it's debatable whether or not that's fair, but the fact that he's able to cope with it, I think, shows how much more advanced he is. <laughs> you know? um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, one could yeah, argue so... that by Esri suggesting that, hmm. does that make him entirely sentient? Because maybe he wouldn't have picked up on it otherwise, but that's the same behaviour anybody would have. Oh, yeah, because it's his life. I mean, he even says that later, and 
all he's doing is that he's not being selfish in he's like oh nog really helped me and you know we're going to have casinos going and it's it would to him it's great and it's fantastic and if it was you know another hologram doing it or something for example it would be like this is a great you know development of my life extension of my story whatever but he realizes that he's kind of ensnared a real person into this fake world and like i said it's only a paper mood it's not it's not going to have the same impact so and like I said, the fact that Ezri yeah. literally gets the dialogue, what, is he going to just live out the rest of his life in a in a fantasy, in a holosuite? Um, awesome. So then, of course, it's it's very, it's beautifully abrupt that it literally just goes into um, Vic back into the room and tells Nog, no, no, time to go, kid. Uh, sorry, I've got to do this computer end program. Uh, and I was like, wow, <laughs> that is... That is straight yeah. up like cold turkey cutting him off, really, isn't it? But uh, yeah. before we get to that, anyway, yeah, I did want to make a note of some of the dialogue because he does say, you know, um, Vic tries to point out to Nog, look, it's not real. And he says, it's real to me and it is to you and don't say it's not. Um, and then Vic says, yeah, but I'm a hologram. I've never really been running all the time. But now it's great because I have a life for the first time. And so I can see what a precious thing it is. And I have to give you your life back. Um, and I was like, that is, uh, between those two in that scene, it's an acting masterclass already. Um, and yeah, just okay. in big exclamation points, I've just put, he ends his own program. That is such a huge deal. That's <laughs> just brushed over of like, he has the ability to just turn himself off and he does it to help somebody else. I was like, that is, that's all kinds of questions. <laughs> that leads us to Nog's like ripping the guts out of the hollow suite, as it says, and uh, Chief O'Brien walks in and explains, look, Vic's matrix is different. He can turn himself off, and if he doesn't want to appear, he doesn't. And then Nog says, literally, the key point, what, he has free will. And O'Brien's glorious response of, I'm an engineer, not a philosopher. <laughs> so, I was like, yeah. yeah, but that is a philosophical <laughs> question, and it's huge, isn't it? So, yeah, it's, it's good that you're yeah. just bringing it up, you know? <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So does he have free will? I mean, that's a discussion and a half, isn't it, for within itself? Because it certainly seems that way. If he can decide not to... Exist or switch on or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Misfits of himself, he's uh, yeah, he's smarter than the average bear. Yes, which again is a really awesome way of him putting it um, within his like parameters, I guess, of like the sixties or whatever. But again, getting to the point, you know, he's not just a, a, a you know a non-interactive hologram or whatever. It's awesome. Um, and then the absolute key scene, which uh, I couldn't possibly do justice to, but. It's an absolute masterclass of acting, and it, it brings me to tears every time when it just starts off with Nog breaking down and saying, look, when the war started, I wasn't happy or anything, but I was eager. I was keen. I wanted to be a good soldier. And then I lost my leg, and it's now a question of if that can happen, anything can happen. I could die tomorrow, and uh, there's no real safety in my life anymore, and that terrifies me. Um, you know, and then, again, he's already acting James Darren off the screen, and then James Darren almost like a tennis match is just like, yeah, I'm going to lob that back to you with his like, look, if you stay here, you'll become as hollow as I am. You don't seem hollow to me compared to you. I'm as hollow as a snare drum. You know, I've now seen life as precious and you've got to go, you've got to live life. You've got to play the cards you're dealt. You know, and I was like, oh, this is so good. This is, you know, this is why yeah. I love Star Trek. It's just encapsulated in this one scene. Yeah. It's just so, so good, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, and the fact that it just culminates with Nog just leaving the cane propped up against the hollow sweet wall as like a final, that's it, no crutches, I've just got to face reality now. Oh, come on, it's so good, isn't it? Um, yeah. So yeah. I, 
I have to ask you your thoughts on that scene because you must have thoughts on that, presumably. <laughs> it's just it's that scene that that uh, coupled with the uh, the previous scene where they're in the room together. This is what cements it as one of my favourite all time episodes of the franchise. Oh yeah, I just I can definitely just, see that. And it's because it's so it hits home. It hits home because uh, I, I say I've suffered from depression. And mm. I've had this kind of talk, obviously not yeah. with a, not with a hologram, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it encapsulates everything, and I can understand yeah. why so many combat soldiers wrote to more yep. after the episode and to Eisenberg because they just hit the nail on the head. Perfect. Yeah. Any I other don't... show wouldn't have they wouldn't have got it. I mean, you already yeah. you, you did touch upon, as we say, PTSD with with family hmm. but this take looks at it from a different viewpoint and how you can lose yourself after the fact oh completely because like i said i i, I can't ex i've never experienced like combat or whatever but i can i can understand because he puts it the writing and the performance puts it in such good terms that it's like look it started and i was all like the glory of being a good soldier and keenness to get out there and then you know naturally these things happen people get injured people die and it's like the reality of it hits you and you do think, oh, what, is this life now? <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's hard to really get that across in any meaningful yeah. way, but my word, this scene achieves it, you know? So. And, the, and the, the reaction when you're faced with something like that, when you're faced with any trauma, I mean, I'm presuming, you know, a lot of people have gone through a similar kind of aspect with the pandemic, that mm. they return to what they found comforting when they were younger. And yeah. You can, there is a very real tendency to lose yourself in things like that because it is oh, safe. Yeah. You feel comfortable, you feel protected, and everything, while not necessarily happy, it's something that you can control. Yeah, it's familiar and you at least know, you, you know it, you know what I mean? You know what to yeah. expect. So, yeah, it's uh, it's getting lost in, in whatever should be comforting, really, isn't it? But And um, again, on, on a more personal level, um, I absolutely love that he kind of, he comes out to the bar now where Quark and Rom and Lita are, and they ask him if he's okay. And I just love the scripting of the response, which is just no, but I will be, because yeah. I've said those words so many times. Yeah, and it's because so... people would, well, that's it. People would say that now in any other show, you'd have gone. Somebody would have got, like give a slow nod and go, "Yeah, I think I am." Yeah, yeah, but I do love that they acknowledge that no, he's not, but and it is going to take work and it is going to take time, and it's not like wrapped up in 45 minutes that they acknowledge that because again as somebody who's been through depression people want you to be like i've done everything to help you are you okay now and they just want you to be like yeah yeah i'm fine it'll be good and the reality is that yeah you do find yourself thinking no but now maybe i will be i can see a way when i you know a way to it a, a time when i could be and it's such it's one line of dialogue but it is so important to me that that's there so yeah definitely anyway <laughs> um so then obviously we get him, uh, we get Nog has been back to work and it's a little bit later and he goes back into the Holosuite to the club. Uh, and again, just nice, just beautiful dialogue of you look so much different. I feel a lot older. Uh, thank you. And, and Vic, you know, thanks for giving me a chance to see what it was like to have a life. And then the absolute kicker, which the episode didn't have to do and surprises me every time. It's like, uh, because you helped me, I'm going to give you the same treat and give you a life. Now we're going to keep your program running 26 hours a day. Because, of course, Bajoran days, because they're right next to Bajor, so 26 hours, not yeah. 24. 
<laughs> a bit of a nerdy uh, deep dive, but yeah. So yeah, they're <laughs> going to keep him running basically all the time. And that is such a beautiful ending for this. Like I said, the, the episode that has been about Nog's PTSD takes the time to address that there's also been a Vic story running here. And it wouldn't have been right to end it with just, oh, I saw how precious life was and I'm glad I've given you yours back. And the only possible ending, even though it doesn't immediately reek of it to you and leap out to you is, yeah, now you're going to have the same thing. You're going to have a life. And I was like, that is, that is such a beautiful, touching note to end on, you know. Um, it's profound. Life is a beautiful thing, you know. <laughs> so, uh, and yeah, that's that's what I made a note of is that he then starts doing what he loves, which is singing and he sings. I've got the world on a string. And I said, uh, it's it's quite telling to me that even though they're the lyrics from the song, that is the last words of the episode is life is a beautiful thing. Because, yep, that's that's the, the point, isn't it, right there? So, awesome. It's, uh, it gets me every very, time this episode. Every time. It is. It's it's a very goosebump-inducing kind of episode, isn't it? So, awesome. My own personal thoughts, which I've, uh, from, from, the, from the beginning... Apart from the decision, obviously, of the big group applause scene, everything, mm. everything, yeah. it, it's it's perfect Star Trek. It is. It's, it's one of those that you wouldn't necessarily know, you wouldn't necessarily be invested in the characters, but if I had to recommend an episode of Star Trek, it's just people dealing with their emotions. And I know that's, that's yeah. a very... Not a great thing to say in this current climate, but... Uh, we're all human beings and we all deal with things and that is a oh, yeah, I think that's exactly yeah yeah i think that's, and, that's and the it, key just, thing to say actually yeah it strikes a chord it does you, it if does. It, you know a, a lot of shows wouldn't even touch upon something like that they'd stick to the 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 space battles and the ground battles and the politics no one would mm. take time out especially no one would take time out for two relatively in the grand scheme of things minor characters yeah guest stars as i said basically really so yeah yeah crazy uh, well so uh, just to get you a little bit more of a kind of interest because i'm aware i've talked a lot um but what, what, one thing i'm doing this series is uh, to wrap up the reviews before we get to conclusions and things is to ask for your favorite character from the episode your favorite moment and your favorite line um, and then i'll give mine once you're done um so we'll start off with what, who's your favorite character in the episode my favourite character, I do love Vic, don't get me wrong, but mm. it's so hard to choose between the pair of them. Uh, mm. I, I I honestly can't put it down because they've both got such amazing lines that it's okay. it's incredibly difficult to, to choose one. Okay, fair enough. If that's, um, if that's okay. I, I, no, no, it's cool. I honestly can't choose between the pair of them. That, that's fair enough. I, I certainly understand that. And I think what I put is that I would say Nog just clinches it over Vic for me. Um, because even when Nog's being a bit of a jerk, it's relatable and it's understandable. Um, and I can't relate to Vic yeah. in quite the same way because I'm not like a an aging 60s crooner, you know. But um, certainly I, I'm yeah. with you. I mean, it's 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 those two, of course it is, isn't it? But uh, I would give Nog the very slight edge for relatability. But I completely, I stand with your decision to have them both there completely. So awesome. Um, and what's your favourite yeah. moment in the episode? Uh, again, it's between two. It's between the, the the ones at the end, the one in the room and the one following it immediately in the hollow suite. Okay, uh, that's fair enough. I went with the talk in the actual kind of shot off hollow suite for me, that actual uh, sort of just 
two-handed little one scene with between the two of them because it's really good. But yeah, certainly the bit before it, you could you could tag on to that for sure. And let's see, what was your favourite line of the episode then? <laughs> uh, well, we've already discussed it, but it's the, uh, no, but I will be. That was literally what I put as well for the exact same reasons we already did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's so weird, but uh, awesome. Awesome. Um, and as you know, the next section, although you may not know actually, because we didn't really do a review last time, but the next section is basically just my middle finger to the people that are like, Star Trek veers away from Gene's vision. Because I think it's always got a little bit of Gene's vision in every bit of Star Trek. Um, and so the section is literally called Gene's Vision. Uh, and it is where I ask, do you think there's anything that you would shout out from this episode that really speaks to the ideology of what Trek means and what people might describe and what might mean when they say Gene's vision? Um, and I think there's quite a hefty couple of things from this episode, but what would you say? It's It's down to the actual the little people and how they deal with things. I mean, Gene was always one about, you know, when people say aliens built the pyramids and things like that. And Gene was like, no, aliens didn't build the pyramids. Humans did it because they're resourceful and they're smart. And it's those type of people that can get things done and lead to this future. And although it's just a microcosm of what's going on around him in the Dominion War, it focuses on these people. Even though one of them is not what you would call a real person, but you've got yeah. someone that's physically at ground zero, and it's through people like Nog that the the larger concepts can be achieved. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that's basically exactly what I put. I thought that, you know it fits into that for me because it's ultimately just about life and all that it involves and all that it means. And it, with Vic, I think it's telling that you get empathy even from something which you could classify as a machine. Um, yeah. which again, very, very gene. And just, as you said, the idea of traumas are horrendous things, but if we face them together rather than on our own, that's how we get through it, um, which is basically just my <laughs> blunt force way of saying in a less elegant way exactly what you just said, Venice. It's, it's yeah. how we move forward together, but we're not going to move Absolutely. forward together without empathy. And that's what de this show, this episode in particular demonstrates in spades. Yes, 100%. Um, awesome. So we always conclude then with a very brief conclusion, if you have one, just a paragraph or two, um, and then a score out of five Starfleet Deltas. Problem. I've, uh, I, I base, my conclusion is it's emotional, poignant episode. It explores a difficult, very difficult subject of PCSD, trauma and depression. Eisenberg and Darren give fantastic performances, and this mostly... It's, and it is, even though you've got the odd scene, it's a mostly two-hander episode. It's all the more incredible that they can make you feel such emotion when you consider that neither one are part of the main credited cast. Stands out for me among an all series as one of the highlights and demonstrates that Deep Space Nine is one of the best series of the franchise. For me, it's one of the finest demonstrations of the diverse scope of topics that Star Trek itself can explore and personally, it ranks as one of the best episodes of Trek that, in my opinion, has ever been produced. Awesome. And, and I'll score out of five for yeah. <laughs> It's, it's got to be five for me. It is one of my favourite episodes. Awesome. Uh, that's fair enough. That's a, That was a fantastic conclusion. I will uh, give mine that's probably uh, a similarly... Well, probably not as good, but we'll try. Uh, I just said that it's a powerful episode that feels almost like it doesn't belong in a sci-fi show. Um, this is a war drama dealing with the horrors of war, PTSD, injury, and facing your mortality. 
but then it also fits perfectly into the DS9 narrative and for extra flavor gives us a fascinating little mini exploration of the nature of artificial intelligence and what life could mean for them. Um, and that's what this is ultimately about is life, living it even when it's hard, finding something to get you through it, recognizing that fantasy has its place, but life is to be lived if you want to experience its richness. Um, a tight 45 minutes that starts very slightly slowly, uh, but absolutely makes its point in the time given expertly. And last but not least, two stellar moving performances that are honestly worthy of awards. Uh, and I also gave it five out of five. So, yeah, that's fantastic. We, uh, I don't know why you're on about your own, disappointed in your own conclusion, mate. That's amazing. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. I appreciate that, man. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, I think we both like the episode. It's safe to say that. Yeah, so, I, I can, I, I can, I get that vibe. Yeah. So, yeah, safe to say, obviously, easy to work out the overall score for the podcast. A five and a five comes to five. <laughs> I've heard a five perfect score. Um, I think it's only the second or third perfect score we've ever had on the podcast. So, Congratulations to uh, It's Only a Paper Moon, which joins yesterday's Enterprise. So I think actually, yeah, only previously we've had one. So yeah, only now the second perfect score, but very well worth it. Final section is just our audience interaction thing, which I uh, give the very geeky Trek name Subspace Communications. Incoming transmission. Uh, and that is basically where I just basically put out on the social media, uh, you know, what are your thoughts on this episode? We got a ton of them last week on Best of Both Worlds, very little on this episode, which is a bit of a shame, but um, yeah. maybe it's just because, I, I hope it's not because people haven't seen it, because they should. Um, but I will uh, give a shout out to the people who have given their thoughts and then see what they've said. Uh, so first of all, Max Ingram at Sleeping Logs Die says, I think it's wonderful, one of my favorites. I think Nog's journey of recovery is very well done and helps illustrate that different people sometimes need to heal in different ways. Plus, James Darren is always a delight as Vic Fontaine. Fair enough. Um, at smart, Nile, bloke. smart bloke. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> at Niall yeah. underscore Maxted says, my unpopular opinion is I don't like the whole Vic thing. Not over-egging it, not like hate or spoils DS9, but it doesn't click with me. That said, this episode is great for serialized storytelling, exploring mental health issues, etc. Um, so yeah, that was the one I didn't I think, think he would be loving his uh, criticism. <laughs> oh, no, that's a, that's a fair assessment. I mean, as I said earlier, that's subjective. What one person likes, another person won't like. And if if he doesn't really strike a chord with his character, that's fine. But you know, the important thing is that during the episode, the message comes across loud and clear. Absolutely. Uh, just a couple more then. The next one is um, Stefan Lineman at S underscore Lineman. Uh, this episode might be the reason they gave us Vic Fontaine. I remember I wasn't too crazy about the idea of bringing a swinging 60s entertainer to the holodeck. When I watched the episode for the first time, I thought it was okay. Later, I learned that Paper Moon seemed to be the favorite episode of every soldier that suffered PTSD. Their perspective helped me to understand some of Nog's actions. And today, it's one of my favorite episodes. I love that little tweet. That takes you on a little journey yeah. through uh, through that. It is. Awesome. <laughs> At Alex J. Harmon just says, a very powerful episode. It had me in tears. For me, it's a standout episode for Aaron Eisenberg. His performance is capital A amazing. So, yeah. Um, again, pretty much universal praise, I think, for the episode. Yeah, so, across the board, really, yeah. isn't it? It is one of the standout Absolutely. episodes of the series. And when that series is Deep Space Nine, that's some... <laughs> That's a pretty high bar. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. There's there's a, a few like this, but this is a big, big episode. And uh, again, if you're listening to this and you haven't watched the episode, do do please watch it. It's not flashy space battles or, you know, um, Dominion War developments or whatever, but it is just 45 
awesome minutes of, of deep thought and uh, you know awesome uh, drama so excellent um so then uh, all that remains is for me to say thank you for joining me for a third time dk uh, a second time on the trek podcast and uh, do you have any kind of social medias and things you wanted to shout people out it's been my pleasure, Mike. Uh, thank you. Uh, no, I can not really got anything to promote. I'm available on Twitter. I've recently changed my name. I can now be found at at aka Starlord, and I awesome. generally tweet about geeky things with the odd political rant, but it's only directed at those that need it. <laughs> that's fair enough sounds like my twitter uh, which you can find at i and mike wilson that's my personal one i'm just my name everywhere else michael wilson and obviously this podcast is at hom trek or hom trek think of mr hom as i always say from trek um yeah and again join us again for our next episode uh, we are back with the borg next week and we are talking about the uh, two-parter unimatrix zero uh again thank you so much for joining me dk this has been really really awesome and uh, yeah, fans, Thank tune you. in again next time. And uh, remember, we are Starfleet. Live long and prosper. Live long and prosper. Uh,